Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I mean, it says a lot, man. Uh, this guy's uh, the camaraderie. Uh, I think their level of focus to not get down, you know, whenever they don't get to play, not get down whenever they see an injury, uh, like all those things that we ran into, you know, uh, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, it, it, it's, it's, Put the test since opening uh since the opening series when we were, went to washington we had the the COVID situation there so i think the guys at this point um from that first series to now uh i think they know how to deal with it uh because they they did get a little emotional that first day because everyone was excited about opening day and then they didn't get to go out there opening day and i think they they learned how to channel that and just go work out, do what they need to do, and wait for that first game against the Phillies, which, which was our first game of the season. So I think from that point and on, you know, whether it's weather, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, is the guys have done a really good job to channel, um, you know, any type of emotion that gets in the way whenever we don't get to play or whenever somebody gets hurt. And then, you know, they just talk openly in the room and they just stay ready for whenever the next game is. We know that there's a pile of, double headers coming our way maybe in June and I don't think that's bothering us you know we're you know we'll take it that it's seven inning games right, right now uh when it comes to double headers but I, I think the guys just have that strong mentality that you know we're, we'll be ready so I think that's helped the team so you know proud of the group because of that mentality and think I think it's a winning mentality and everyone has it in there and um from the coaching staff to the players to our front office so everyone's been great about you know all the stoppages and all the different uncertainties that we've had so far with the injuries as well. Welcome to Memorial Day edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, May the 31st, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, Welcome into another edition, a holiday edition, Memorial Day edition of the program. Can't remember, at least if you're out here in the Northeast, here in New York, a worse weather-wise Memorial Day weekend than you're going to get 
over the last three days. Two, not one, but two Mets games rained out, which, as we get into this, is probably a good thing. Mets have been really fortuitous uh, this weekend with 11 postponements so far through the first couple of months. They probably could use the postponements now. It's going to pay later. They're going to have a ton of games later, but uh, really fortuitous knowing the kind of injuries that they're facing and they're trying to get back healthy. But um, not exactly the holiday weekend that you wanted to see as the world is reopening up and trying to get back to normal. And uh, we're really now getting into the heart of the baseball season. And, and I think I had promised everybody as we got to Memorial Day, and we've talked about it since the start, you know, learning who this team is. And then the next phase as we're heading into it is what do they need to be who they want need to be, which this team has aspirations to be a playoff team, to be a, a team that could be competitive, potentially win a championship in the postseason. They're not there yet. They're certainly a competitive team. They're not there yet at the championship level. There's a lot that we need to see before we can say that. But you can't really ask for more from the month of May than what the Mets gave you. Now, yeah, they had the seven-game winning streak, so outside of that, they played 500. But when you start to look at teams... I mean, look at the 2015 Mets, who had a hot hot start and a hot finish and played basically 500 ball or so in between. And even the 88 Mets, a team that won 100 games, had a period. Now, that was an extreme period, but they had a period where they played 500 baseball for almost half the season. And they were hot at the beginning and they got really hot at the end. So even teams that win 90 games, 95 games that make the postseason, you'd be surprised as as you broke down their schedule where they have these, you know, runs. It's almost like a basketball game when you have that 13-2 run. And then things level out. So, uh, you know, no shame in that. But when you start to look at a team that's in first place, that's up three and a half games, seven in the lost column. I know people don't feel good right now. And there's been times where I haven't felt good about this team because you know they have a ton of games they got to make up. The, the schedule's been wacky because of the rainouts, because of all the postponements. Uh, the injuries, which continue to mount throughout the month, up to 17 guys on the injured list. Now you've lost Noah Syndergaard, probably for the season. Maybe you get a cameo late in the year. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, Noah tweeted out some kind of ominous uh, tweet regarding, you know, Naked Gun and Leslie Nielsen saying there's nothing to see here and there's a whole bunch of burning things behind them. I don't know if that's supposed to be funny or harbinger of things to come for him but you know Noah Syndergaard who we had penciled in as rotation enforcement uh, rotation reinforcement is you know probably not somebody that you could even think about now uh, at least not for the near term so in first place not feeling good but you know you really have to start to say hey we're heading into June now Memorial Day is here Mets are going on a critical road trip And the team is in first place, and the team is going to get, and you knock on wood here, you guys could hear that, uh, healthy over the next two or three weeks. And they've shown an ability with what they have out there to manage to stay in this. They're averaging about three and a half runs a game, which is unconscionable. I mean, we would have been disappointed going into the season with four and a half runs a game. But, you know, league average this year is a little lower than normal. Offense is down. It's about 4.3. With all the injuries, with all the 4A lineups, with all the slumping earlier in the year, you got a Lindor below the Mendoza line. You got McCann you're putting at first base. I mean, look, you got guys like Jonishui Fargus, Billy McKinney, Jose Peraza, Brandon Drury, uh, Cameron Mabin, uh, Khalil Lee, Patrick Mazika, who's gotten a couple of big hits. I mean, these are going to be guys that are all footnotes, I think, in the 2021 story. I think come August, you're not even going to be thinking about all these guys or any of these guys. You know, maybe one sticks around depending on, you know, how things go. Maybe they get a September call up. But more than likely, these guys are going to be in Syracuse. They may be trying themselves out for another team and another job. They're going to get some, for them, much-needed service time days. And if the Mets make the playoffs and do anything and make anything special about 2021 when it's all said and done, these guys are going to be part of the story. At the end of the year, when you do the recap, this makeshift Mets, this replace the Mets period, which is we're still in. We're probably at least another two or three weeks where there is going to be a component of it 
I mean, you found out that McNeil and Conforto are not coming back now till late June, according to Zach Scott. Uh, looks like near term, Alonzo and J.D. Davis could get back, and that's going to be a big help, Alonzo, as soon as tomorrow. Um, it's funny how a baseball season has these ebbs and flows, but what we're living in now, the team that we're rooting for now, the team that we're talking about right now, is something that will be completely different because the way this particular season is going come August, maybe even come, you know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now. And we may never hear from any of these guys again. I think you might, you know, see a couple of them pop up again, you know, maybe Khalil Lee because he's a prospect, but uh, you may never see any of these guys again. And all of them, and this goes to show you when you have players that are fighting for their baseball careers and they want to get another day of sunshine, so to speak, be surprised what they can do. Mets have been pretty smart in a way, knowing that they didn't have many options, knowing that to make a big deal now would cost them way more prospect capital than they probably really can afford to give, nor would they want to give. They went out, they got guys that have pomp. It looks like all of them could play some pretty good defense. And uh, they knew the only way for this offense to get that crooked number. And really, when you look at this year's Mets right now, as the identity has been built, and I don't think this is going to change. They are pitching-focused, pitching-based. They are a defense that the sum is greater than the parts, and mainly that's to technology and advanced metrics and really the players and the manager buying into, hey, follow our lead on positioning and defensive positioning. And even though the Mets shake out very much into the middle of the pack defensively on UZR and other metrics – they are they they're a pretty decent defensive team. I mean, they're saving runs, and maybe it's that because of positioning. Certainly, that's the big part. But they're doing their 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 take. Lindor has a lot to do with that. I mean, I don't think if you remember, Lindor made a big play in the Atlanta game on Saturday when it was still cash, still a game for nothing, and they had a rally go, and he came across the diamond to get a slow roller that got an out. It was a runner on third, one out. They wound up scoring the Braves that inning, but I think that would have been a much bigger inning than we would have imagined if, if Lindor does make that play. So the pitching is certainly part of it right now and is part of why they're so good. Going forward, this team has shown that they're embracing the Thunderbolts. They're embracing the adversity. I felt for a minute this week, I was a little worried that that first, that was the first Colorado game when Janishwi Fargus went down with the shoulder uh, injury and they were all standing on the field after he ran into the wall. I was starting to worry that they were starting to say, what next? Because it's absurd. It's really theater of the absurd when the backup of the backup of the backup goes down. I mean, you've got Nimmo, Pilar, Elmora, Fargus. It's like, come on. Really? But that's, you know, adversity. That's what they have to embrace. Because if they could go through this period and they could continue, as I've said, for the last couple of weeks to compete, do the things they need to do, to maintain their position, not let anything spiral out of control where they're buried. I don't see that happening, but you still got a lot of work. Got a real tough road trip coming up. I think tougher than the last one, going out to Arizona. San Diego's a team that's hot and feeling good about themselves. Baltimore's a place as bad as the Orioles could be. Uh, you get under a couple balls and you have a bad day pitching-wise, and all of a sudden you're, you're down five, six runs because it's a band box of a ballpark. So it's not an easy place to play. These aren't places that... You know, you, you want to go out and you're going to have a good time. But if you had told me the Mets were going to have a massive injury run and you had a choice, keep the offense healthy and keep it where maybe close or near career norms and career bests or the pitching, pick your poison here. How can the Mets stay afloat? You pick the pitching every day of the week twice on Sunday because the pitching, what I see with the pitching, if it maintains its health, if it can be managed properly, if the bullpen doesn't get overworked, is so much more sustainable to stay in games and win. It's almost like um, you know a football team that plays good defense and can win a game 13-10 because uh, all they need to do is make a couple of plays. They could hide some of their 
offensive deficiencies. Look at the the Baltimore Ravens of 2000 that beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. That was the kind of team that was a defensive team and had just enough offense to get the job done. Now, you don't want them to do this the whole year. We're not asking that. We're asking them to do this probably till the end of June. And maybe not to the extent they have been doing for very much more as soon as this week. It, you know, with Alonzo coming back and with hopefully J.D. Davis coming back, that's going to be a big jolt to the offense. The bullpen has covered up a tremendous amount for the starting rotation. I don't think, I can't believe I'm saying this, but nobody outside of Jacob Barnes, and I've been hard on Jacob Barnes, and I think some of these numbers for him have been uh, tied into a, a couple of bad pitches, home runs that came uh, and went. But um, everybody in the bullpen's above league average except for Barnes. Everybody that's come in, Sean Reed Foley, has been good. Guys like that have been good. Uh, you know, look at some of the names that are that are coming down here. Sean Reed Foley, uh, Drew Smith coming up, showing some health. I mean, Miguel Castro, I still think is walking a lot of guys, but he but he's been good. Trevor May has been pretty good. You know, good free agent signing. So is Aaron Loop. You know, Familia has rediscovered an earlier version of himself. Maybe not the vintage Familia, but not the version that we saw the last you know year you know two years since he came back and. Diaz, uh, he's had a couple of bad outings, but when in the the chips have been down and the money's on the line, he's gotten out of it. Even Robert Gazelman, a guy that myself included was ready to throw to the Syracuse and be ready to move on from, has has helped out and and given some innings. So the Mets have shown they're a team built on defense, uh, smart defense, pitching, strong bullpen specifically, and now they have Seth Lugo coming back into the equation. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that utilization goes. You know, will they use him as an opener? Is he going to be that guy that could be, uh, you know, the eighth inning guy? I'm sure they're going to ease him into leverage. What you've seen, and this is why I think Luis Rojas is really starting to stand out as a guy that probably is going to be here for a little bit, is they're using the information that the front office is giving to them. And they're applying it in a way where I think you have buy-in with the players. I've always said with bullpens, guys need to know their roles. They can't just like, you know, you're sitting there, sipping a cup of coffee, you know, all of a sudden, boom, the phone rings. You got to get up and get ready to go. And, you know, think about that in your jobs, what your life is. You got to focus. Now you got to get everything going. Now you could prepare, and certainly it's your job to prepare. But if you're, you know, hanging out in the fourth or fifth inning, sixth inning and you don't expect to be a guy that's going to be called until seven or eight or maybe even nine and then you get the call and you're not ready well that could impact your performance and it used to be and I've said this before my belief system was bullpens and and good relievers need to know their role you need to know who the seventh is yours the eighth is yours the ninth is yours and that used to be what a good uh you know bullpen was built by built by guys that could go in certain innings you certainly want guys that are crossover relievers that could get lefties or righties out. But I think now it's because you have so much information, it's also about leverage. And what you saw, what Rojas has done, and I'm sure this is the creation from the front office, the collaboration that a, a modern-day manager needs, is that he's using leverage. You know, He'll bring in Trevor May in the sixth inning if the leverage part, middle part of the order, that makes sense for him comes up. And I think with, with Lugo, you're going to see that more than ever. Because Lugo... The, the issue with Lugo, especially because he's had arm trouble, he's got the, the partially torn UCL, and now he, you know, he's had some other injuries crop up here related, probably all connected to that UCL. You really have to be careful how you use him, and that was the problem in 2019. They needed him four out of five days to compete and win. He's not able to give you that. He's not able to give you two innings and then come back the next day even for a couple of outs. You know, you could maybe go an inning and maybe have him come the next day, but you got to manage how stressful those innings are. So you really have to know that this bullpen now is much more suited to maximize Seth Lugo's strength than ever before. Because if he's down for the count for a day or two, assuming the other guys are not overworked, you pretty much could survive. And maybe you get a better version of Lugo who's healthier, who's rested, Who's more dominant? That's the hope. I mean, he's the best. Coming into this season, I thought he was the best pitcher in the bullpen. And there's argument that he could be the closer when when Diaz isn't doing his thing. And I certainly believe I trust him more 
assuming I see him healthy and get back into this thing, Castro. He's going to le- put less runners on base. But um, you really have to give Luis Rojas a ton of credit. I know that everyone's talking about manager of the year way too soon to do that. But he's shown a knack for communication. He's very steady. He seems to be on board. This is very important with his bosses and communicate the message and what they want to do here. And I believe the clubhouse is run pretty clean. The players like him. And the media, look, normally this would be different. He'd be put on the griddle a little bit more, especially for the rat raccoon thing. If you were in person and you were able to get interaction throughout the day, you know, like Keith Hernandez was recently on a podcast and said, you really don't have a feel for a lot of these guys because you can't go down on the field. You can't go in the clubhouse. You're pretty much isolated away from them other than your iPad or your computer on Zoom. But when there has been opportunities for him to slip up and become a media buffoon, he he pretty much diffused. I mean, I think the rat raccoon situation diff- showed you how he could diffuse the situation without looking insincere, without looking like a, a, a clown. Really did. Ian O'Connor over the post wrote how his temperament, and remember, his dad was a low-key guy. Um, his temperament's built right now for the for the for the way the modern game is. The drama and the high octane, Bobby Valentine kind of manager, in your face type of manager that likes to stir the pot, call his players out in the media, can't do that anymore. As much as I always felt the manager had the microphone in post game to responsibly send messages to players. It's really not how it works anymore. The media doesn't like it. They get on your case for doing it. They like it because it creates a story, but then they bash you for for interacting with them and giving them the story. So you can't win there. And the players are very sensitive in that sense. They don't understand that thing. They don't they don't take it. I mean, look at Tony Larusa and the three O count with his player. How all of a sudden, you know, everybody wants him fired. Teams in first place because he used the media as a pulpit to send a message. Um, you know, I think that there is times, you know, you don't know when you get to the point where you send messages through the media, sometimes you don't know that the player has had conversations with the manager. The manager's at a point where he doesn't, he doesn't feel like they can get through to that guy without really putting his name up there on the bullseye. Not something you want to do all the time, but it doesn't sound like he's that kind of guy. And, and, and for a guy that got thrust into this, uh, you got to give him a ton of credit because this was you know, something he was, he applied for, he interviewed for, he didn't get. And uh, it was all, you know, makeshift uh, wedding, so to speak. Really, it's amazing. So everything right now is set up for the Mets. If they can now withstand the road trip and a tougher schedule with doubleheaders starting to pile up later in the month, the Mets are at the point where Memorial Day where they survive bad offensive start, getting to know each other, a new big player in uniform, not hitting uh, you know, at the Mendoza line, and tremendous amount of adversity thrown at them that they've now been able to sit back, with absorb. Are they becoming immune to the to the stress of all this? Perhaps, but now we'll see where they're at with some of their players coming back, and a team that I believe for the rest of the season, the identity of this team is pitching, very good bullpen foundation, defense that is smart uses information, makes the plays. Will that continue when guys like Nimmo come back, J.D. comes back, Alonzo comes back, McNeil comes back? Yeah, it should. Because I think the big thing on the infield is is Lindor. And I think the outfield, uh, although the guys that have replaced Nimmo, even a guy like McKinney are much better gloves. Um, you know, you could always sub out late in the game for those big plays. But anyway, I think, you know, you'll start. That's the foundation you'll see. What do they need? What do they need to get to where they want to get, which is supposed to be a postseason team and a championship contender to win a pennant here and go to the World Series? We'll talk about that more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All 
Alright, we're back. So, now we're at Memorial Day and promise to talk to you about what do they need. And this is different than normal because we're still, this team is still finding itself because of the injuries. You're still trying to get Conforto on track and McNeil on track and you know, we'll get to Lindor before this, this show is over, but Lindor has been, uh, he's a big problem. He's a big problem on many fronts because we're trying to figure out what's going on there. And looking under the hood, you're not getting a lot of good answers because, well, we'll get to that. But the obvious thing this team needs as we head into June is health, especially on the offensive side. They need to continue the health, and they haven't been completely healthy on the pitching side. I mean, they're starting rotation. A big component hasn't thrown a pitch yet in the regular season in Carrasco. But mainly their offense, which that's been the disappointing thing. I mean, they're last pretty much in every offensive category. I mean, they're down there with a team like Detroit. You know, that's a rebuilding team. If you had told me how bad the offense was or would be going, you know, at the beginning of the year, going out of spring training, I'd say, oh, my God, this is a disaster. How can this be? You know, it's got to be injuries. Well, it is, but it's also under performance. They need McNeil, and I think that they have to be smart with those two injuries because hamstrings can get tricky. We've seen that with Carrasco. Now, he had a tear. It's, they've been very coy about what's going on with McNeil and Conforto. But uh, they now have saying that McNeil and Conforto will be out until late June. Well, that's another 30 days nearly of them having two major offensive components. Middle of the lineup guys, guys that they really need out, and more of McKinney... Drury, uh, Mabin, uh, maybe Mason Williams, who I know is on the taxi squad. He's been hitting the tar out of the ball down in AAA. We'll see with that. Um, so they need health. It's nice to get Pilar back. I think especially from an emotional standpoint, he's going to go out there with some kind of mask on. What can he contribute at the plate? That'll be a real interesting thing to see. Uh, J.D. Davis and Pete, I think Pete's going to be back You know, tonight as they start the road trip, and that's big. That gets them a middle-of-the-order presence and – you know, hopefully that injury was impacted because he was really swinging the bat poorly before he went on the uh, the injured list. And hopefully it has been solved that the pain in his hand is gone and he can he can be productive. Because it's not just having Pete out there. You need him to be productive. You need him to be making, when he, you know, runners on base, you know, making productive outs to get him in and also, uh, you know, hitting for power, which is what they need. Um, health is the obvious thing. But the real question I think we need to start to seriously ask and I'm surprised. They, with the pitching and the, they're not going to go out, I don't think, and make a big trade for both pitching and offense. I don't know how many big trades there are to be had. Because the Mets, again, you saw already in the offseason, teams are going to start asking for the Francisco Alvarez's of the world, the Brett Beatty's of the world. They're going to want to try to take some of the Mets' top prospects who are at very much lower levels, who can help this year, or probably can help next year. So the temptation is going to be to try to you know maybe rob him a little bit for a, a quick fix to win this year. And, I, and you have to win this year, but you have to win responsibly. And you can't just give away guys that could be answers for 2022, 2023, and so on. At the beginning of the year, I would have said, without a doubt, when we talk on Memorial Day, we're going to talk about the need for the Mets to get a, a, a potentially a starter. We were hoping that Carrasco will be back relatively quick and that Syndergaard will be back by June. Neither of that has happened. Now it looks like Carrasco's more of a bet than Syndergaard. And we knew that there was some pitching depth questions with Lucchese and Yamamoto. We were, I was bullish on them, thinking that they could surprise. Neither has really. And Lucchese's been better of late. But a guy that comes in and gives you two, three innings as a, as in an opener game, a bullpen game, really isn't doing his job as a fifth starter. It shows me they don't have faith for him to go maybe even twice through the order, never mind uh, three times. So that you know, I would figure that the, the they you know they would need to have a pitcher that they go after. But believe it or not, the pitching I'm okay with. It's the offense I'm concerned about. Now, do they do they go if uh, do they go at one point and uh, you know do they they bring up a Zapuki? And I always say his name wrong. Uh, I think the Zapuki. I, I don't know if that's what it is. Correct me. We'll we'll figure it out when he gets called up. There's a kid in Double A, Tyler McGill, that's that's pitching really well. Uh, there's not a lot else in Syracuse unless you want to go the veteran route with Jared Eikhoff. Is he better than Luke? We'll, we'll see. I mean, if you're doing bullpen games, and that's the key, the pitching you could get away with as long as you don't burn out the bullpen. And my fear is that the bullpen games are going to start burning out the bullpen. That's my real fear. 
Offensively right now, it's really going to come down to a couple of things. First, this Nimmo injury is very weird, this finger, this nerve. And I told you when he went down, and I didn't understand a bruised finger, I said this was going to be something that was going to stand out a lot more. Well, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. He says he feels better, but he's not swinging a bat. So this, to me, smells of something we're not going to see until the second half. And this is the second time. In 2019, the same thing happened, but it was a much more serious injury. The Nimmo's been out for big chunks of the season. And that's a killer on offense because he's so elite in terms of run creation. Now they also have the question. J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. J.D.'s a big bat. He was hitting well before he got hurt. But he wasn't manning the position at an acceptable level. He really doesn't have a position. When you start to break down the non-DH situation. I mean, he's really a DH. You'd love to have your DH. And Dom Smith hasn't hit. So Dom Smith is is not hitting. He's not really an outfielder. He's out there because of his bat. You're not going to sit Pete Alonso unless he flops. And you got this guy that we based a lot of our excitement on, really with a 50-game shortened pandemic season, with a wonky schedule, and as close to a baseball bubble as you can get with no fans in the stands. And, uh, you know, outside of that 50-game stretch, his whole career has been filled with a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of hits, and a lot of disappointment. And I don't want to start throwing him off the island here, but if either of those guys don't really start to perform, and, you know, J.D. continues to perform at the offensive level that you expect, which is elite. For his defense being what it is, it needs to be elite. And Dom Smith to give you... I mean, maybe you maybe expecting MVP-type numbers that you got was certainly unfair, but you're not even getting good or very good numbers. You're getting nothing. You're getting really nothing. And that's a problem because at this point, now you're going to really say to yourself over the next six weeks, as we have basically eight weeks to the trade deadline, but it'll start heating up sometime after the 4th of July, I believe, as we get into the All-Star break. And who knows? Maybe the Mets will be more aggressive and try to make a deal uh, much sooner. But you're going to need to go out and figure out, can you go out and get a bat? And and right now, with the second wild card, I always say this. You really don't you, – you, teams are in it for a while. You have your tanking teams, and they're the obvious ones, like the Pirates. But if you're going to take a, a, a salary dump, that's really all you're going to get right now is a salary dump with the Billy McKinney's of the world, guys that have been designated and, and have to go. And maybe you give up something. Uh you know, there's Gregorio Polanco. There's uh, uh, Chris Bryant's name is coming up, but he's a free agent. And I, I, I think because of who he is, he's one of the uh, you know, better hitters this year in all of baseball. And his resume, even though he's a free agent and you can't expect to get maximum value, I think the Cubs, especially with the way teams value draft picks now, and they may want to resign him, which they could still do even if they trade him. Uh, I, I don't think the Cubs are just going to say, here, take him and, 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 and take back J.D. Davis. I mean, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to give up probably Dom or J.D. Davis in a salary dump situation for a Bryant. I mean, that's going to be one. They're going to ask for more. They're going to ask for prospects. But the pain that you'll feel is a guy that has some control, that has upside, that's going to be cheaper than the guy that they uh, give up in Bryant. And I think Kyle Sager, who's a name out in Seattle, who's actually quite a nice fit, who has a, a, a team option after this year, it's probably going to cost the same thing. I mean, Jerry DePoto loves collecting Mets prospects. He's got like 13 guys on the roster. You put a box score up there, and you see a ton of former Mets play in there. Uh, maybe that's more logical. And Sager, actually, in some ways, will probably cost less. He's a guy that plays some good defense. He's going to strike out a lot, but he's got power, hits lefties really well. And the Mets, the good news here with making a deal, especially because they need an offensive bat, is they're not afraid to take on money right now. And I think if ever, with the way that the owner came in and wants to make a name for himself, look, Steve Cohen's not going to, he said it, he's not going to spend like a drunken sailor. But right now you've got his attention with this new toy. He wants to really go out there and make something. So if he's ever going to stretch the payroll out of his comfort zone, if there's such a thing, now is the time. Because two, three, four years after you have some success and maybe this thing settles in a little bit, 
you know, he may be a little more hesitant when there's been mistakes. So, and that's a whole nother story. So really right now, what does this team need? The obvious. It needs to get healthy. They need to continue to, to do what they have to do to make sure that they manage these injuries responsibly. With so much uncertainty about Nimmo and so much uncertainty about whether Dom Smith can give you anything, even when healthy, maybe he's hurt. Maybe we're not, you know, what do you have a knee injury the other day? Maybe there's something going on there that we don't know about. It's possible because he's really jumped up. Full, he's really fallen off the cliff. Um, you know, the, the clock's really looking at, you know, can you get, can J.D. Davis be that guy? Because right now, third base and center field of the outfield, really center field. Oh, the positions that are open where a trade would make sense. And there's really not a ton of guys out there. I just mentioned Polanco from Pittsburgh. He's really a corner. Bryant, Sager. Bryant's kind of the white whale, the one that's going to be tough to get. So that's the next thing is, can they acquire a bat? And I think even if they get healthy, they very well may need to because you're not getting what you expected out of Dom. There's still the threat that a guy like Nimmo could get injured. Defensively, J.D. Davis is a guy that you may have to look and put a VR or a Guillerme at third more than you'd think because with a Stroman or a guy on the mound that's a ground ball prone, it's shown to be a benefit. I mean, the Mets' success right now is based on defense and defensive positioning, but the it's the defense and the pitching is now their foundation where you may have to say offense comes to a certain degree second because even though you need more offense, you're going to get it. You don't want to sacrifice what has become the bedrock and the fabric, something that you didn't think you would have said going into the season. And you're not going to get a big pitcher, and you're not going to get a big hitter at the same time, You don't, unless there's a real salary dump here or something that I'm not looking at. So as long as they keep that bullpen relatively healthy and they don't overuse it and burn it to a crisp, which is my concern with bullpen games, you got the big three, you got Walker, DeGrom, Stroman, keep them healthy push them into the seventh inning. I think that's the first thing. Start to push those guys and hopefully Walker when he's, you know, he just had come back. Maybe you push him a little bit more so that you don't have to get 12 to 15 outs every night. You only have to get six to nine between that range. And this bullpen can do that. This bullpen can do that. And you don't have to do it with the same guy every night. It's got some ability depending on the score and the leverage for you to mix and match so that a Trevor May and an Aaron Loop and Edwin Diaz don't get burnt to a crisp. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe when you talk about pitching, you go after another bullpen arm at some point. Those are probably going to become more expendable. Somebody that could help, you know, take some innings away uh, in leverage from those guys I mentioned so they don't get burned to a crisp by October. But that's the key right now. The Mets offense is sick. And it's sick because the team is unhealthy. But when they come back, they weren't really hitting before. And can they use that bat? And I think Kyle, out of the names, I what's realistic in the names I just mentioned, I think Kyle Sager, because he hits lefties, he'll balance out Conforto, he'll balance out McNeil, uh, he'll balance out lefty and Nimmo. He's decent defensively. He pushes J.D. Davis out of the mix, which stinks. But you probably have to consider that if you're going to upgrade and you're going to take a risk, and that's the, the thing you got to decide with J.D., because he's got control for a couple of more years. That when you give him up, you may, you know, and Sager you could theoretically have for next year too because he has the team options. You could keep him another year. Maybe that matters a lot. Bryant, he's going to walk. And then really with Bryant, you're going to lose him because the decision at that point is do you sign Bryant, do you sign Conforto? And the man we're about to talk about next has a lot to do with that as well because he's making $34 million, $32 million, whatever it is, that kind of money. So right now, you know where the Mets are at and you know what I'm starting to see what they need. Baseball and results will determine whether you know I'm right and that's the direction they go. But I think irregardless, if they stay in contention, you know, within another three, four weeks, it's going to be very clear that they need to go out and get a bat. And not Billy McKinney and not Cameron Maben off the scrap heap. They need a legitimate big league bat. And there's not a lot out there. Now, Kyle Sager's a name that's been thrown around out there as there's some buzz. I don't know if there's any truth to that. But, you know, certainly the Mariners and Mets have hooked up with deals before. And I know that makes you cringe because the name, you know, Kelnick, who, by the way, is what, in a buck 20? And I'm hearing a lot about him. But Mets don't have a lot of options if they want to keep some of their prize prospects. But Dom and J.D. Davis are two names that are going to be part of 
potentially a package if you're going to get somebody who has some control or somebody that has some value that's a money deal. You're not going to just get them just for money, just for taking the money on. The Mets are going to make, teams are going to make the Mets pay. They're not going to give Steve Cohen what he wants as the newbie on the block. Remember that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I warned everybody, getting married to Francisco Lindor before you dated him was a bad idea. Now it's June 1st coming up, Memorial Day. You're going to need some counseling because now the fans are starting to get restless. And even Lindor, and you'll hear that next, is talking about it. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. <laughs> Anthony, getting booze sucks, man. Uh, it's not fun. It's a lonely feeling, um, especially when it's your um, your home crowd. Uh, but with that being said, they, they want results. And there's not one person in this world that expects more results than myself. Um, they want results, and so do I. I want the results more than they do. Uh, yeah, it, it sucks. It's a lonely feeling. Um, I get why they're booing, um, because there's no results, but, um, I, I think they booing because their results, I don't think it's not that they don't like me. I think it's because of the results, because when I come down to the dog, I have a base, I have a basement in my hands, they all go crazy, but it's the same person that's booing me. So it, it, it's. I'm starting to understand this. I'm starting. I'm starting to understand this. Um, it's it's a game. At the end of the day, when I go home, I have a beautiful um, fiance and a beautiful daughter that just feel that just gives me full energy and just impacts my life so much that the things that happens on the field, they stay at the field. We're back. Francisco Lindor. Uh, I think this is going to be a topic that, believe it or not, and I think Lindor could thank, in some ways, you know, there's been a lot of focus on the NBA playoffs so far in the media. The Mets were able to kind of hide this last homestand with the focus really being on the Knicks. And, you know, the Nets will still be, even though they're not going to be the Knicks, the story, regardless of how far they go. The Nets will be in the news, and there's going to be some times, depending on how deep the Knicks go, how deep the Nets go, and that might be ending with the Knicks uh, as soon as Wednesday, that you can hide a little bit. Even the Yankees, who had a bad weekend in Detroit, you can hide a little bit when you become less of the story on the New York sports scene. Plus the holiday weekend, bad weather, news cycle's kind of dead. But Francisco Lindor, and you heard the clip coming in, I mean, he's hearing the booze, and he's not happy about it, and... Even mentioned about the money in there, and and truly he's right. Francisco Lindor, even if he was making ten million dollars a year, would be booed because of the hype. Because all you heard about this guy coming over was what a great guy he is, what a leader he is, the smile. And look on the field, you do see him being uh, very vociferous defensively. I know the metrics don't play it out. Uh, I see a guy that's a great shortstop. I mentioned the play earlier against Atlanta on Saturday night going across the bag. Not many shortstops could do. That's Rio Donia's-esque. Very nonchalant. It wasn't flashy. Big play. And when you have a play that it could be the difference between first and third, nobody out, and runner and third, one out, especially a pitcher that you know wants to find his, his command and control, a guy like Castro that could get out of sorts, that's big. It's big for the staff. Doesn't like defensive positioning, has been vocal about it, but has played the team game with that. Uh, that's probably part of why him and McNeil got into the argument or worse in the dugout. But the real thing I think that the Mets made this mistake, because of what the package was, and we don't know what the kid pitcher is going to be, but because of Rosario and Jimenez, guys that, you know, Rosario's never going to be more than what he was in 2019. That's the best you're going to get. He's an undisciplined hitter that doesn't walk a lot. He lacks baseball instincts. He's not good defensively. They're already putting him in the outfield. You never were going to get. You now, he was an asset. You don't want to just give him away. But I don't think Rosario's going to give you pain. Let's put it that way. Pop a few home runs. Wasn't a, I mean, he was a guy that lost his job to Jimenez last year who now is down in AAA and may not have been ready. Maybe the the second time around the league, now that you have a normal-ish schedule, Jimenez is being figured out. 
And in best case scenario, Jimenez was looked as a glove guy that maybe you could get league average out of. Here's the problem. Francisco Lindor, not that he's going to be a glove guy that you can get, you know, if you get league average out of him, it's going to be popping there. He's trending that way since, you know, last year. And maybe even the decline started, you know, maybe 2018 was an outlier to a certain degree with, you know, almost 40 home runs and all that, you know, stuff. It was a guy that, you know, has hit home runs in his career. But, you know, he started to chase. They talked about that before he came over. The 2020 Lindor, which is not an exciting Lindor, that hit about 255, 260, was a guy that over the course of a full season probably would have hit about 25 home runs or so, stolen, you know, 25 bags. He's a guy that could be 30-30, let's face it. He hasn't been, but he could potentially be 30-30. Probably as he gets older, he's going to run less. I mean, running is not valued. We'll see with, with rules changes and whatnot. But that might be the guy that, is now part of this team for the next 10 years at 32 to $34 million, depending on, you know, if you do the uh, AAV or or the actual salary. I know some of it's deferred. He's going to be 15% of your payroll for a long time. Now, you're going to say, Mike, you're, you're assuming that payroll is going to be around 210 200 now, five years from now, 10 years from now. With inflation, that's probably not going to be the case. With inflation... At some point, that 210 is going to be 240. I think with a new collective bargaining agreement, that ceiling is going to have to be raised. But but let me explain something to you guys. We don't know the post-pandemic economy and the disposable income of people. This thing is still shaking itself out. We're not going to truly see the economic impact of what happened last year. We've seen some of it with inflation now. But you're truly not going to know how this thing shakes out for a year or two. And if you think, and I've said this a million times, that sports salaries are not going to be impacted or sports revenue is not going to be impacted. I know with digital and everything, uh, look, there's a lot of people that found other outlets and said, you know what, maybe I need to diversify my entertainment dollar. I hear it. I hear it. And we're not talking about a casual fans all the time. So Lindor right now, let's assume, is going to be somewhere between 12, 15, maybe as high as 20%, you know, if you lower the payroll of your payroll for a long time. He's got a no-trade clause. He's not going anywhere. Not only did you not date him, you married him hard when he came over. And the reason I didn't want that is because I didn't think the package that they gave up was worth not seeing him before the year played out. Now, to be fair to Lindor, none of the big free agent shortstops, Baez, Story's hurt, you know, Car- uh, Sager's hurt, Corey Sager's hurt, uh, had injuries. They're not They're not really turning anyone's heads. Now, Bogarts right now, statistically, and Trey Turner are 1-2 in shortstops in baseball. That doesn't surprise anybody. And Carlos Correa is up there, too. He's a free agent. He's having a good year. But you got guys like Miguel Rojas, Josh Rojas, Tim Anderson. Brandon Crawford is third right now in, in wins above replacement at shortstop. Now, solid shortstop, Brandon Crawford. But not a guy you'd give $32 million to. So this is a problem because if this guy doesn't figure it out, right now we're lowering the bar. We're only two months in to this relationship, and we're lowering the bars. If he gives you, or I'm lowering the bar, not you, I'm lowering the bar. If he gives you league average offense, 255, 260, pops you 20 to 25 home runs with gold glove or near gold glove defense, is he worth it? Now, he's a valuable player. He's certainly a valuable player. There's no doubt. Is he worth $32 million? No. You know that. I know that. You know that, and I know that. And I'd I, I be even curious what his value was last year because I'm bringing him up here, and they do do that on baseball, uh, not on uh, fan graphs. They assign a dollar value to, you know, performance. And, you know, of course, what, oh, look, look, in 2020, in 60 games, he's worth about $14 million with that performance. That's what he's worth. He's a 15 to $20 million player. So you overpaid for him. Now, I'm not ready to say that Francisco Lindor 2020 is Francisco Lindor we're going to see in 2025 or 2021 second half or, or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that we're stuck in this together. So booing him, beating him up, not managing expectations is not in anyone's best interest, not in 
the fans' interest because it's going to make a lot of negativity. It's going to impact the team negatively. And certainly Lindor listening to this and, and starting to make it hurt hurt him, eat him, which he says he isn't. But the fact that he brought it up, and I know it was a question, the fact that he even brought up the money himself, uh, you know, tell, he's human. He wants to do well. And the, the concerning part about Lindor is on the offensive side of the ball, he's not even really hitting the ball hard. There's nothing you could point to. There's no, I mean, the fact that on Saturday night, it might have been Verducci that was doing the game on Saturday, the uh, the Fox game, was talking about a hard foul ball the other way because, and he's right, Lindor's been out in front. Keith Hernandez has talked about it. As progress, I mean, it's almost like a, 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 a 4A guy or a Little League guy or a Sandlot League guy that we're trying to get going. It's da- downright concerning. So I'm here to say, I, I if you told me now that the Lindor you're going to get the rest of the year, let's say 2021, league average hitter, really good near gold glove defense, pops you some home runs, uh, you know, still got a pretty decent walk rate, gets on base. I'm okay with that because at this point you got to sign up for progress. That's progress. That's not a $30 million, And that guy's a problem at $37 million a year because you're going to have to make decisions at some point about additions to this team, other stars that are available, stars of your own that you want to sign. And this guy's salary is clogging it up. And that's not $32 million worth of pay. You want to be paid as the best shortstop in baseball. You've got to be more like Fernando Tatis. You can't be Omar Vizquel. Because that's what he is right now. He's Omar Vizquel. And I don't want to scream and yell. I don't want to get into it like other talk radio hosts do. Because that's nonsense. But this is why I wanted to see this guy first. The package was... And I said this from... This is not a second guess. Go back and listen. I told you right before he signed. I didn't care if he signed. I was hoping they'd find an agreement. I didn't really like a long-term 10-year agreement. I never liked them. I've said that. Look at Albert Pujols. I wanted them to go aggressive, shorter term. He didn't want that. And I even said, if they couldn't come to an agreement, why jam it? Why force it? Let him prove himself here. Because imagine if he didn't sign this contract and here on Memorial Day, he's hitting 191 with an OPS plus below 60. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get that long-term deal. So, you know, this is why I thought the package wasn't a painful enough package to have to sign on the dotted line without seeing him. That was really my point. I don't think Rosario's going to hurt you. It's not Jared Kelnick you gave up. You know, the pitcher, who the hell knows? We'll see. Wolf. So, now you made your bed. You had to make the deal. You got to live with it. Is that going to be okay? If he is the next three, four years a league average to maybe a little slightly above guy with a really good glove, has good leadership qualities, good personality. Are you going to be okay with it? Or is the money going to start to become a problem? You probably don't think about the money until it's brought up. And then you think about the money when the money gets in the way of you improving the club. Or you lose Michael Conforto. Or you lose Pete Alonso at some point. Or you lose Jeff McNeil. Or you can't re-sign a pitcher like Stroman or like Syndergaard if you're interested. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when he's on the cover of the paper where this is the guy. That's when the tar and feathering will start. That's when it'll get interesting. And that's when we'll talk about it on this show. But we're talking about it now because I wanted to put it out there. Never, never, unless you're absolutely sure, and I was not sure about this guy, I saw some danger signs. And it wasn't just me about him being a star. It was me looking at the commitment that that was required to lock him up. It wasn't about 2020. I knew he was a good player. Maybe I have to come around to 10-year-plus deals on big players because that's the, the norm. I've always been against it. You know, six or seven, uh, like Beltron, there's a way out at the end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. They go quick. Believe it or not, six or seven-year contracts, you think that they're a long time. They are. They're not. 10, 11, that's a long time. It's a decade. And that's what. And that's really what I'm saying is you guys have to, the rest of this season at the very least, Maybe you don't like it going into next year. That's a different conversation. We'll look under the, and you look under you can look under the hood at the end of the year and see what's wrong. Is he hurt? Is there a nagging injury? Is it the New York itis? 
But you got to manage expectations. He gives you league average performance. What I just told you, what he did in 2020 in a short sample size of 50, 60 games, if he gives that to you for the rest of the year starting now, take it. And then we look under the hood and we see what's going forward. And then 2022 becomes a big year. Because that's a very valuable player. He's overpaid. He's not managing what you expected. You wanted Mike Trout. You wanted Fernando Tatis. You weren't getting that guy anyway. I told you that. I knew that. I didn't have to see him play every day. I looked at the numbers. Without seeing a lot of Francisco Lindor, I knew you weren't getting those guys. I hoped you were. I hoped you come here and blast on the scene. It's not happening. But he's not even hitting the ball hard. That's the whole looking under the hood. I don't even know. I mean, there's got to be something more. I'd love to be a fly on the wall at one of their organizational meetings. What's wrong? What do they see? And if you think hitting coach is the solution, that's not the solution. This is a combination of, is he as good as we think? What's going on between the years? Is he hurt not telling us? A lot. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the other thing I think about with players as we wrap up here, you know, I want to move on. Maybe all the information, and this is talked about, that they're given on defense, on offense, video, maybe it's taking its toll. There was an article in the USA Today, and you're going to see a lot more with the CBA coming up with what's wrong with offense and baseball. The same thing you heard about the NBA at the turn of the century with defenses. The same thing you've heard in the NFL when they opened it up for wide receivers. The same thing you heard in the NHL with the neutral zone trap. The neutral zone trap was just as bad. The same thing you're going to hear. You're going to hear all that about baseball. And there's the sticky stuff that is probably now finally coming to the forefront. They realize it's a problem, not policing it. The strike zone is going to be a conversation. Of course, there are all sorts of wacky rules. I think you start with the strike zone, you start with the sticky stuff, you probably go a long way to fixing some of the problem. But giving players all this information versus instinctually paying attention and looking at the game, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe there's a balance there. You can't legislate that into the game. You can't legislate everything. you got to let things organically work itself out. But I was listening to, on a great podcast, Mets Rewind, Mackie Sassard, who's a college coach, uh, talked to the host, John Struble, and he talked about how his players are just always looking for, looking for video, looking for spin rate, and he's like, watch the game. I could tell you it's a plus-plus slider. Watch the game. And maybe that's impacting in a negative way. I'm, I'm stretching here, of course. I know that. But maybe it's impacting it negatively. All right. We're going to wrap up. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. We do more than just the big league team here on the Talking Mets podcast. Like when Brooklyn Cyclones play-by-play announcer Keith Rad stopped by and talked to us about 2019 first-round pick Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty. The one thing that you'll notice about Beatty, about it, it was an immediate difference, is that his presence at the plate, he looks like he's been taking swings in the pros for you know, five, ten years. It's just waiting for his pitch it's it's the, the weirdest thing I mean he's just got presence he's not going to chase he's, he's going to stand in there like he's seen great pitching for his whole his whole life and great kid good makeup great smile he's got bear claw hands he's strong as a bull um, I remember his first big hit was his first game for us in Aberdeen bases are loaded we're down two he clears the bases with a double and I got goosebumps on the call because I'm going, this guy's going to do this for the Mets one day. And he's starting here, and oh, it, was, it was great. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Um, so hope you enjoyed this Memorial Day edition of the podcast. Not a lot of baseball recently. But with the Mets going out to Arizona and San Diego and at least those two places, I think it's safe to say with the Dome and with 70 degrees and sunny, there will be no postponements this week. Mets need to play some baseball. They've benefited from the postponements. They need to play some baseball. Now, Baltimore, I can't say anything about, but with the way things are going for the Mets, uh, with the 11 postponements, I mean, what a wacky schedule. Started off from the jump with the COVID shutdown in Washington. (laughs) Would it be would it be any surprising if it rained in San Diego? <laughs> Historic rain. I mean, it's fifty degrees. It felt like October all weekend here in New York. I'm out on Long Island. I mean, there's leaves. I mean, I, if you look out and you look out at my backyard, 
You basically have all the tree leaves filled. It's October. You would close your eyes. You'd think, it, you know, Halloween is around the corner and that the World Series starts tomorrow. So it'll be interesting. Hey, I, I want to thank everyone. I got some great feedback. We've been doing and spotting in these fan segments. You never know how they're going to go. Uh, but we had our friend Liam Oliver from the UK on last week talking about watching the Mets and watching MLB in a, in a country that baseball is a distant, you know, like I think about like something you don't think about here. Maybe like skateboarding here. Baseball may be like that in some uh, cases. But uh, I got other emails. Our friend Sean Ghostage, and I uh, apologize, Sean, if I didn't say your name correctly, but he's over also a member of the a UK Mets fan club and talked about his experience watching the Yankees-Red Sox game. And apparently he answered one question. I think he said that uh, it was so warm that weekend that the ball was flying out. I remember how it was like, you know, softball scores there, how crazy that series was. But he talked about the scene uh, for that and how many fans there are. And even invited good old Mike Sylvan talking Mets to come out to London to catch a game, which, you know, when things open up and things get different, Maybe we'll have to, uh, you know, take them up on that. But uh, it will be interesting if this little this little podcast, this little show, could be kind of an igniter for more Mets fans over across the pond, especially in the UK. You know, cousins of this country, uh, or anywhere, not just the UK, anywhere that you know. I know we have you know guys in Australia, and I'm sure we have guys all over the place. You know, we have friend uh, Richard down in Colombia. Um. It would be interesting if this started and the Mets wind up playing a London series at some point. I mean, I know that that baseball is going to try to do that. And I've always been like, ah, do they really need to do these overseas series? But if this is what it takes to grow the game, and if they can make some, and they're going to make some adjustments into the new CBA about the offense. And I really believe, and I don't want to get too deep into it because we're wrapping up here. I really believe the two things that I read out of that. I'm not about changing rules, about moving the mound back, crazy bases, um, I really believe looking at the sticky stuff, which I think has been a problem, and I think the Astros were a big part of that problem. I know that that's been talked about. Cole, those guys going over there with the sticky stuff. And I guess Theo Epstein feels going back to a wider strike zone instead of top to bottom, north to south, may be the answer. Look, they did it in 1968 by lowering the mound. An offense which it's not exactly like offense of the 90s. And maybe that's part of, I think it's also the contact. I know they've also talked about limiting how many pitchers on our roster. I just don't think you have enough pitching. I think the product will become bad in another way. You start taking away some of these bullpen arms, you start having bad pitchers make you know go through the order three, four times around, you're going to see some ugly baseball. Look, 13-10 ugly baseball with walks and bad pitching, I don't know if that's any better. You want crisp games. That's what the best baseball is, crisp games. And I think sometimes the offense in the 90s, the offense that we've seen at times with the home run and whatever, has made it very hard to put in context offense right now, which is runs per game kind of in a 2014 level and also in your early 90s level. So it's, it's not like we haven't been here before. I guess it's the pathway of how those runs are scored, which are a bigger problem. Much more detailed conversation. I'm sure we're going to have it a thousand times before we uh, we put a cap on the season. And I know with the CBA coming up, it's going to be a big topic. There'll be plenty of talk on this that we could get deeper into. But I want to thank our friends over in the UK, very loyal Mets fans, loyal to this program. And I thoroughly enjoyed interacting with you guys and, and hope to interact with you guys uh, again soon. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You could send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of whatever weekend you have left. Try to get a barbecue in. Try to enjoy whatever weather is going to give you over the next few hours. Till then, take care, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.